Hello and welcome back to Beyond Ethical. My name is Lauren and today we have on the show Tim and Kathy Wooler. Tim and Kathy are both children of rural Mount Horeb, Wisconsin and are truly from the land of milk and honey. Tim was raised by a family of hobby beekeepers and Kathy spent her childhood on a dairy farm. Both Tim and Kathy developed a work ethic and love of God's creation by working with their family agricultural enterprises. After a 20-year career with the U.S. Air Force, Tim and Kathy returned to their native homeland with an interest in joining Tim's family with their highly successful honey production and sales business called Gentle Breeze Honey Incorporated. For the past seven years, they've learned the business and agriculture and their time-tested recipe for success and are now full owners of Gentle Breeze Honey and are thankful to God for every bit of goodness and hardship along their journey that has prepared them for this work. Their chief aim in all they do is to be faithful to the opportunities which God has laid before them. Tim and Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for having us on today. So tell me a bit about Gentle Breeze Honey. How long has it been around and why was it originally started? Yeah, thank you for that first question. Well, my father, Eugene, grew up in Merrill, Wisconsin, the Wassa area. And in 1965, he came down for a UW, University of Wisconsin, short course. And in one of his classes, he was introduced to in an individual who was a beekeeper. And that kind of sparked my dad's interest. So he started off in 1965 doing some of that work. And then over the years, my, him, him and my mom got married in 1967. And that's when he started getting, you know, dabbling kind of as a hobby. I remember growing up, they, dad would extract honey in our basement. You know, he started out with, I think, I think about seven different hives. So really small. And it was kind of a passion that sparked, you know, back in 1965, when I think he was kind of searching as far as what he wanted to do and who he wanted to be. And he found this love of the honeybee. Hmm. Then, I don't know, he always had, you know, the income generating jobs was a really good provider for his family and he didn't need to sleep a lot. And so he would kind of keep bees by day and manage people at a factory at night. And while we were in college in the early 90s, he lost his job and that was just God opening up a pathway for him. And after kind of spending a winter soul searching and not really sure which way to go. He thought, well, you know, maybe I could make honey production a, a job. And so he just started, you know, pushing his product into little stores and it grew from there. And all during the 70s, 80s and 90s and right through today, he really kind of built his reputation on the back of the Dane County Farmers Market. We live in Dane County, Wisconsin. Um, Madison is the capital of Wisconsin and around our Capitol building is this wonderful square and in 1972 a group of people had this vision of bringing a farmer's market to the Capitol square and Tim's parents were invited and they declined because they were building a house and getting ready to have twins and they already had a one-year-old and so they waited until 1973 and so that was kind of their first market for a long time as hobbyists and then as they started to develop the business side more in the 90s, they already really had a great reputation here in Dane County. And, you know, people right now, like in this post-COVID era, 
they estimate between 15 and 20,000 people come to this outdoor market every Saturday. It's this market considers itself America's largest producers only market. And so it's just really an incredible venue for anyone that's buying or selling. Yeah. So that, that I think wow. is really like a, has been a big key to their, you know, developing their reputation in the grocery industry. And they sell, we sell to restaurants and bars and cafes and all kinds of venues, but we love the personal contact that we get at a farmer's market. There's nothing else like it. So yeah. Seeing exactly the customers that you're selling to. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like he had kind of gathered quite a large following after years and years of selling at the market and seeing the fruit of being based deeply in your community, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, it was pretty common for, for dad to, on an annual basis, he would either go to the first grade or second grade class classes at Mount Horb and would you know, bring an observation hive and spend an hour or two hours, four hours with the kids. And, you know, we've had adults come back and say, I remember when Eugene was in my class in first grade <laughs> and how that shaped that young yeah. man or young woman's life. Uh, one of the big things at the farmer's market is that we bring an observation hive. And, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity for, for young and old alike. People see those bees and it's really, really fun to watch the reactions that these individuals have. And again, there are many times where there's parents with their children and they say, when I was a child, Eugene Waller was there mm-hmm. um, at the market and he had this observation hive and here I am with my children. So it's gone into a second and third generation. And so that's something that is very special, very special part of Genevieve's hunting. Yeah, it seems to have made a profound impact on them that they continue to return. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a great educational tool and it's just super calming to sit and watch a hive full of bees doing their thing mm-hmm. and, and still feel protected. So yeah, that's just been kind of a really foundational piece of, of how General Breeze Honey interacts with the community. So you said when he was doing more hobby beekeeping, he had around four hives, I think you said. When he decided to go full on with beekeeping, what was kind of the speed that he picked up more hives and how he grew? Yeah, I think it it kind of came progressively. You know, he, he always had a gentleman by the name of Emmett Harp, who was his initial instructor in the bees. He spent a lot of time out at our farm up through the 90s, early 2000s even. And so dad probably started with, yeah, four to seven hives. And then it just kind of built every year. You know, once he went full time, then, you know, each summer would kind of ratchet up a little bit more. Right now we're running around six to 800 highs. It, it's not, we're not quite at the hobby level any longer. I was kind of equated to, you know, the dairy farmers, you, you know, used to have a 75 herd, 75, you know, cows that you'd milk. And that was considered a big sized herd. Well, today you can, you know, you see farmers that have anywhere from one to 7,000 or 10,000 dairy. And that's a big, a big herd. Well, I've got a buddy of mine who's got 10,000 cows. So us sitting at six to 800 is, you know, we always, I always consider myself a small commercial bee farmer, but it's what you do with the bees is what, is what matters. And that's kind of what we try to focus on is that quality product as well as, you know, taking a good look and making sure we're taking good care of our honeybees. 
So it, it's a it's tough because you want to produce honey, but you also want to leave some good things for the environment. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those things that go into being a high quality product? Like it sounds like you've maybe capped yourself at six or eight hundred for the sake of quality. What are those markers that you're looking for that maybe larger enterprises may not be looking at? Yeah, I think a lot of it, the the face of of beekeeping has changed over the decades, at least in this area of the country. Um, A lot of different factors. Some will say the the weather has changed. One thing that we've done just in the last four or five years is dad would always overwinter the bees here in Wisconsin. And that would have very varied success rates. You know, he was looking at anywhere from 30 to 50% loss every winter. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. really tough to sustain. So probably about four years ago, I got with another beekeeper. And since then we've been shipping our bees out to California the first week of November, and then they return in April. So this does a couple different things. When the bees go to California, the queen will continue to lay. So she's not going to be kind of, not that she's hibernating in the winter, but she kind of clusters. If, if it gets real cold, the bees will cluster up. Well, when they go to California, she'll keep laying. It's warm enough that the bees will be flying. And they'll actually, the first couple of weeks of February, they'll go into the almond groves in Southern California. And they'll actually help with pollinating. And a side fact, there's, there's not enough colonized bees in the United States to properly pollinate the almond groves. So they're always looking for more, more honeybees. What we found is when the bees come back in April, you know, let's just say we have, let's just say a thousand colonies. And normally if we lost, you know, that 30% or 50%, let's say we had a bad winter and we kept them here and we're down to 500. So now I'm starting my, my summer or my spring with five, half of what I had. Mm-hmm. So we send our thousand colonies to California and yeah, we may lose 10%. So now we're down to 900. But when those bees come back, they're strong enough that within a couple of weeks I can split, let's just say half of those. So of those 900, I can split 450. And so now I'm starting my spring instead of with 500 colonies, now I've got a little over 1300 colonies. Okay. Is it tough on the bees? It is somewhat, but, um, it's something that we kind of watch. We make sure we medicate them properly. We make sure, you know, they're being fed properly. That's those sort of things. Mm-hmm. But we found that's kind of a, one of the things that we fo- have focused on here in the last five years or so on how to maybe not so much upper numbers, although it does help, but it's also, you're seeing those bees are, are doing a little bit better over the years instead of staying in Wisconsin. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we, we focused on. So perhaps slightly more resilient hives. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with, um, again, realizing that at a commercial level and even hobbyist, uh, unfortunately, with with a lot of different diseases that have presented themselves in the last several decades, if you don't medicate your bees properly, they're just not going to be there the next Mm -hmm. year. We have a lot of folks that always come and, oh, I had two hives, I had three hives, and they're dead. And it's my third winter in a row. Well, what are you doing? Are you, are you, how are you feeding them in the winter? What do you medicate them? The varroa mite came in the nineties and that's really decimated different beekeepers over the, over the decades. They're still trying to figure that out. You know, there's certain medications you can use at certain times of the year that help with that. 
you know, it's just the kind of thing. So that's kind of one facet of it. Another part is we've seen in the last 30, 40 years, instead of having a lot of clover or alfalfa fields that smaller farmers would have, now the focus here agriculturally is on soybeans and corn, both of which aren't really great pollinators or whatsoever pollinators for the honeybee. So the honeybees are having to forage so much harder in, in, in so many different directions to get that floral source that they used to have quite easily. In the, so that's one thing that's been a, been a change as well for us is trying to determine, we've got a lot of honey yards that my dad started back in the 70s. We still have them, but they're not the same type of producers that they used to be because that floral source has changed. Mm. And part of that has to do with you know, this, this small dairy farm that used to exist in Wisconsin, a good example on Kathy's Road where she grew up, there were 13 farms and now there are zero farms. Wow. And, but five miles away, there's a, a farm with, with 600 head of, of dairy cattle. And that farmer now has to figure out how to crop the land that he has and, you know, do all his different things. And that affects where those pollinating sources are going to be. So there's a lot of factors that go that go into the health of the honeybees and that sort of thing. And that's kind of something we're constantly looking at and adjusting and manipulating a little bit. That's one thing that's interesting to me about the beekeeping industry is that even if you're running your, your own business very well and your hives are healthy, what's going on in the surrounding agriculture has such a huge impact on the health and the survival of your hives. I was reading up on this a little bit a couple weeks ago and we read that one third of the economically active population earns its income from agriculture. So that's like one, one third of businesses essentially operate on agriculture, which is such an interconnected facet of the economy. So it's interesting that you share that, right? That as, as crops shift a little bit or as farms change hands and change what they're planting for their for their animals that that impacts your business and the health of your hives do you i maybe maybe you alluded to this a little bit already and with sending your hives to california in the winter when you have your hives in wisconsin are they all on property where the business is or are you kind of outsourcing them like around the surrounding area like how do you spread out those hives yeah that's a great question thank you for that what we do is we have our the main farm area where we do like the production where we're bottling and that sort of thing. But we've got anywhere from 20 to 25 different smaller yards where we'll put in normally about 32 colonies. One thing that we've changed over the last 10 years as well is my dad always used to have single colonies. So if there was a bee yard that would have 30 colonies in it, let's say, there would be 30 distinct boxes. What we do today, and that's physically incredibly challenging, and I think there was a lot of stress and strain for him on his body over the years. What we do now is we have a pallet and we're able to put four, four colonies of bees on a pallet. And then I use a skidster, basically a forklift type of device that we can pick those up, put them on a truck, move them where we need to. And then I can put in six or eight pallets would be 24 to 32 colonies into a bee yard. That gives me a whole lot more flexibility. Also, it's not as physically demanding, um, you know, to, you know, the hard part is getting the skids on and off the trailer and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And, 
and then getting the, the pallets in, in place and that sort of thing in the yard. But yeah, so we have about 20 to 25 different yards, probably in a 50 mile radius of the farm. And we're able to see, you know, we're just 20 miles outside of Madison. So we kind of keep south and west of that and then head a little bit south, you know, New Glarus and then farther to the east. Um, uh, so probably about a 40 to 50 mile radius. And it's nice, our yards, usually it's people that come to us and ask for pollination, whether it's like in a formal way, like we work with several different CSAs, community-sponsored agriculture, so they're raising fruits and vegetables for small-scale customers, or, or orchards, we work with a few different orchards, and then just a lot of private landowners who maybe have converted hayfield into prairie. There's a lot of prairie reestablishment going on in this area. And so we're really fortunate because Dane County is a really forward looking place. And so there's a lot of people that really have like a strong vision for land use ethic. And then, you know, when we can, we love to grab some stuff that's, you know, where we can park next to a hayfield, but that is really hard to find. <laughs> and so just not as much haymaking as there used to be. We have talked with over the last several years with Tim's dad and, you know, the effort that one person, two people working together could put in in the 70s and 80s to produce 50 barrels of honey requires so much more manual labor now because of disease mm -hmm. and lack of forage, quality of forage. So it's, it's really amazing how beekeeping has changed. And yeah, you just like farming, you just keep adjusting. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. So you said it would take like work that would take two people back in the 60s and 70s. What does that work specifically look like now? How many people does that involve? Well, we, we hire a lot of high school and college age kids that, you know, have an interest in working hard and want to learn about beekeeping. And it's really hard to measure, like, because none of them work full time. But, you know, it's we probably have 10 different young people that work with us in the summer and they're all working, you know, 15 or 20 hours a week. So just a lot more manpower, probably triple the manpower that was once necessary. And then just the inputs of medication and immune enhancing uh, Probiotic. supplements, probiotics. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's just so, and well, and then we've created a little bit of extra work in the fall and in the spring because of the pollination work in California. There's some preparation. There's a very specific right. way that they need to be ready to go on the truck. They need to be able to be pass examination for health. You know, so you can't be, you know, slapping it together at the last minute. So pretty much most of the month of September and October are dedicated to prepping the bees to go to California. And then it all kind of unwinds on the other end in April. And that's always when April, May, September, October, we don't have our high school and college mm -hmm. kids so we have two or three guys that are just really going hard <laughs> with it, but it's been worth it, you know, and it's worth it for everybody because the, if you're eating almonds um, or anything, that's an almond byproduct, it, almonds are 100% dependent on the pollination that comes from commercial honeybees. And so, and like Tim said earlier, there is not enough bees in the United States mm -hmm. to pollinate all of the almond crop. And so for us, it's been, you know, financially helps you be financially viable through the summer because you get paid for sending your bees if they're healthy mm -hmm. and you know it's a win for the agricultural scene out there and the bees are also pollinating all November through it's only two weeks that they're actually pollinating for the almonds but 
yeah, everybody's winning with that one. So right. that's, and that's kind of the gold standard of upper Midwest commercial beekeeping we've learned. So glad we've jumped in that. Mm -hmm. So in those, in that time that your hives are in California, what does your work look like at Gentle Breeze? Yeah, it's pretty funny or great question as well, but it's very funny because folks will always be like, well, so you must not do anything during the winter. <laughs> my dad made sure that that wasn't quite <laughs> the truth. We, uh, a big part of our, when we're warming the barrels that we use for, that we'll, you know, use for bottling and then in the honey house, the heat, that sort of thing, we have a heat furnace or a, a fire furnace. Outdoor wood furnace. Yep, outdoor wood furnace that we, we have. And so during the winter months, we're doing a lot of wood cutting. So we've kind of talked the whole beekeeping side, but then the other half of Gentle Breeze Honey, the retail portion that we have mm -hmm. in the different stores. So again, my dad started off one or two small stores, local stores, and then just kept building and kept building. I'm not really sure how he ever did it because the beekeeping side itself throughout the year tends to be a 40 hours a week job and the retail is anywhere from 40 to 80 hours a week. So we do have a, a couple of gentlemen hired for the delivering. We, we'll talk about family here in a minute, but the gentleman who's working for us right now was actually my Sunday school teacher growing up. So we always say when you join Gentle Breeze Honey, you're joining Gentle Breeze Honey's family. <laughs> that's something that we really cherish is mm -hmm. that we are a family and that's really important. It's very important to my mom and dad and of course it's important to Kathy and myself. But to answer your question, during the winter months we keep busy with delivering honey, taking care of fixing things that we didn't get done or accomplished during the summer months when we're working, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week mm -hmm. uh, type of thing. And then prepping for honey deliveries and then the wood production for our, our, our furnace and that sort of thing. So we, I tend to keep myself actually more busy during the winter than I do during the summer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think it's important to note that at least in our experience, honey sales on a retail level and in the restaurant industry rise tremendously in the winter, you know, people are what baking more, they're mm -hmm. giving gifts more with Christmas, they're making a lot of tea with honey. And, and so we just see our sales skyrocket from about October through March, and then they kind of taper off in the summer, it's pretty quiet. And so it, it balances itself really nicely. I think this winter, one of the fun things they're doing with all their wood making is Tim's, the, the property where General Breeze is, is actually his parents' property. They live on it. And it's only five acres. It's quite small. So, you know, we get a lot done in this very small space. And we have been working with a local prairie restoration. There's a very steep bluff. We did a lot of, we took a lot of trees off there a year ago to put solar up. So we had to open up some sunshine. Mm -hmm. And now that we've done that, we're like, hey, let's get some short grass prairie growing on there. And so then we're also developing some oak savanna on this little five acre property, which then butts up against a public land. And we're kind of working with the public land to kind of carry on that land vision with them. So yeah, we're doing just a lot of like property redevelopment this winter with Prairie. And part of the goal of that then is to really get some good forage for our bees. Cause we do keep a small, I don't know, do we have 10 or 15 hives on our own property? And so we, you know, want to have a really good 
pollination source for them there, which mm -hmm. will be the prairie, you know, put our money where our mouth is, right? <laughs> and right. so, yeah, so it's been exciting watching that transformation this winter. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that for both of you guys, the work is busier in the winter. That's not what most people would probably expect. I think most people, when they ask us that question, are operating on the assumption that we're just kind of same round. <laughs> but you know, so what what his dad started is somewhat unique because most people either want to produce honey or they want to sell honey, but they don't really want to do both on the scale that his dad mm. got this thing rolling. And so um, you know, so the fact that he kind of took on two very demanding businesses under one roof was, you know, he took he bit off a big chunk <laughs> and uh and did well at it. So yeah trying to carry that on. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to back up a little bit. So this this business was started by your dad, Tim. What prompted you eventually to take over the business? What what were some of those steps that led you to join in with the work that he was doing? Yeah, growing up, you know, I was somewhat invested a little bit, you know, as a teenager. I don't know how that <laughs> how that looked. A lot of times it was you will be helping. Okay, I'll be there. <laughs> you know those sort of things, but you know, I guess over the years, realizing that, you know, the impact that my mom and dad were having, not just on, on themselves, but how they were very selfless and willing to, to really just hang it out there and offer so much to so many people for so many years. You know, being in the Air Force, we had a wonderful opportunity to, to serve our country. And with that came a lot of holidays away from family and opportunities to see the world. But I think a big part of that was knowing that someday that Kathy and I wanted to come back to this area. Kathy's mom and dad were dairy farmers and you know my mom and dad were doing the bees and that sort of thing. And I, at least I knew that I wanted to come back at some point and be a part of what we saw over the couple decades had grown from this little hobbyist love for honey, honeybees into this incredible passion and so probably maybe a little after 2004 to 2005, we started talking with mom and dad about, hey, well, how would this look if we came back at some point? And I knew I wanted to get at least the 20 years in the service in the Air Force. And so that was going to bring us to around 2015. And so it just kind of continued to build. And then we determined, hey, we're, gonna, we're coming back. And I'm really glad we did. I miss the Air Force. I miss the flying that I got to do the leadership opportunities that I had. But for us and for me, I know it came back to family and just the importance of, of being back with our families as you know, my parents started to age and Kathy's parents aged and being there for a lot of the really fun celebrations, but then also for some of those hard times that we know are gonna, but I guess, you know, a big part of that is just knowing the faith that my parents and Kathy's parents both have that albeit great to be here on earth someday you know they would obtain the heavenly reward and so us being back during this time of their transition in life um, to me was critically important mm -hmm. and so it, it was really never a question of hey is it going to happen but it was more of a hey when will it happen mm -hmm. and so you know it's been a wonderful opportunity to be back here since 2015. So it sounds like you had it in your mind even before you joined the Air Force. Like this is just for a season, even if it's a long season, you're gonna you're gonna come back. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think a lot of that was, you know, that some of the different character traits and things that we learned growing up in the in the Christian faith, the importance of of where family, of course, where God stands, but then where your family stands. And I learned in the Air Force about integrity, service before self, and excellence in all you do. And those are some of the things that I saw at General Breeze Honey and saw with our both our families. And so it was for me, it was a, a, an easy transition to, to wanting to come back. Now there's days I wish I would be back in the Air Force, but that happens with all things in life, right? Sometimes we question things, but I think all in all, it's been a just a wonderfully rewarding last eight years. Yeah, about that. About eight years. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. And I think we, you know, when we came here, it was kind of with the understanding that there was no 100% guarantee that we were buying into this. But I think, you know, we worked together and with his parents and just really learned their trade and their agriculture and kind of how they interacted with customers and served customers. And there really wasn't, you know, a moment of decision. I think it just kind of flushed really well into our life. And, you know, we had four teenage sons and um, it was great. We had an instant labor pool. (laughs) (laughs) They were never without money because we were never without the need to uh, have some of their help. And and so I think all of our kids, or I would say at least our three oldest sons, all really see their youth kind of character formation very much forged in part by the work they've done at General Breeze Honey and so we're thankful it's just been a really unique lifestyle for our family and it's it's there were for me no surprises because having grown up with full-time agriculturalist as parents you know the work never ends (laughs) and your desk is never clear and you know and so I think we and then just the lifestyle of sacrifice and service in the Air Force, you know, kind of prepares you for agriculture mm-hmm. because it has a lot of the similar demands. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's an interesting last comment. I don't think I would equate those two, but it seems like you, you've pulled lessons from both. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for both lifestyles. So. Yeah. You develop a hard work ethic that is necessary in entrepreneurship and small to medium business operation, right? Absolutely. Not for the yeah. faint of heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I actually say to people all the time, the Air Force never knew how hard they could have asked him to work. Because <laughs> mm. he would have done it, right? <laughs> we thought he worked hard in the Air Force until we did this. So, oh. yeah, but it's, it's exciting. It's rewarding. And I think because we have so much customer contact and we have this really beautiful product, you know, it's honey is a really fun product to interact with your customers over, you know, people love telling you the things they're doing with it. And they get excited to share recipes and they, you know, tell their friends about it and they buy gifts and pass it on to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to kind of be on the front end of food trends. And I think, you know, COVID especially everyone started asking, you know, how can I build my immunity more naturally? And Honey was a quick answer for a lot of people. And so I think, you know, in many ways, COVID actually, not just in the short term, but in the long term has been really beneficial for us. And so we're really, you know, proud to deliver a very high quality product that, you know, as long as you like it, everyone seems to want it. So, right. I think in my experience growing up, my dad was a beekeeper for a little over, I think, 12 years now, and just have some of the fondest memories of, of, like harvesting in like September, October, 
decapping the frames mm -hmm. just watching the abundance uh -huh. like that, that was the word that was always in my head when we were harvesting is like you see water move at this pace or in this quantity but like rarely do people see honey move like mm -hmm. you see it in like 10 ounces and then you never envision like the operation to get yes. into that little bottle but just yes. seeing then like the five gallon buckets in the garage like wow what abundance you in the intro you guys talked about being from the land of milk and honey which i love but right like that image in scripture is an image of abundance and i think that's been rich in my experience with beekeeping is like wow like <laughs> there's just so much goodness that thousands and thousands and thousands of bees like that is their sole job is to collect that and produce that yeah just like an honor to be a part of harvest with my dad for for that reason that's really beautiful yeah. thanks for sharing that yeah, we actually like one of our one of my favorite statistics about honeybees is that one bee in its 30 day life cycle in the summer peak production time will produce I don't know it's like a 12th of a teaspoon of honey yeah, and extrapolate <laughs> that out to like a five pound jug of honey or a quart jar of honey or a 24 pound bucket of honey and it's just unbelievable the army of these insects that it requires and yeah it's just there's something just really um powerful about being a part of that and mm -hmm. you know we just try to not get in the way of what they do <laughs> so right. they've got it sorted out <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. exactly um, well closing question for you guys that we've been talking about as a startup group and with various other people on the podcast in your experience what does it look like to be christ-centered in your business how would you define that and then how has faith you've touched on a little bit but but explain a little more like how has faith impacted the kind of work you do and the way you do your work yeah well i would say you know just kind of in a nutshell you know to be christ-centered for us in what we do is you know first honoring the honeybee honoring the land but also, you know, kind of all that God has put in motion in creation. But we work so much with customers and a small staff of employees, you know, and just really trying to be customer centric, I guess, and, you know, trying to meet their needs. I work on a very micro scale with customers. Tim works more on the grocery level, so not as much customer contact. But, you know, just really, um, you know, trying to enjoy the relationships that you form with people around honey. It sounds mm -hmm. odd, but it's, it's a big part of it. And then I think one thing that neither one of us really thought about when we came here, we kind of thought about the finances of running a business and we thought about, you know, the different work that you have to do, but we didn't really think about the fact that we were going to have to manage people mm. and that I had always managed little people. I stayed home with our kids all through Tim's Air Force career and, you know, felt like I was good at managing children. <laughs> and, um, and Tim obviously, you know, did some management stuff, you know, as an Air Force officer, but it, it was interesting because he mentioned before, these people really were so small you know, I think our winter staff is about 10 people, most of whom are part-time, some who are actually relationally family, others who just feel like family because of how closely we work. But I think that's one of the things that I feel the most um, proud of and, you know, an opportunity to just be Christ-like is, you know, we need the work. We need workers and we need people that are devoted and loyal and reliable. And we 
have kind of taken on this pattern that Tim's parents had, I think it was just kind of something God put in front of them and it really worked. His dad's first employees were the neighbors that were retired farmers. So they were people that already knew how to work and how to run an agricultural business. And we've just kind of built on that. We have Tim's aunt and uncle who work for us. They're in their late seventies and early eighties. He's a retired pastor and they come two days a week. And so what we find is that we have just this incredible staff of people that really enjoy working part-time. They're not working for benefits. They, we don't have much to offer them in that way because they're part-time. They also are not people that need to make you know, their life's earnings. They're kind of on the tail end of that. They want to enjoy their retirement, but they don't want to be fully retired and they want to be a part of something special and feel useful. And so we just have this really incredible symbiotic relationship with our employees. And so next week, aunt and uncle are going to Texas. And so, you know, a few other ones of us will step up and do what they normally do. And then when we need them to step in for us, they do. And so we just really love the degree of flexibility we can offer. And we try to do that with our summer kids as well, just because we, when they work, we demand so much of them, but we also want them to be exploring life because most of them are never going to be full-time beekeepers. And so I think being employers, while the administration part of it can get tiresome at times, the, the relationship work mm-hmm. and just trying to find ways to get our job done and make it work and help keep people satisfied. It's just really, it's been a really unanticipated blessing of this job. And so we're thankful for that. Yeah, I guess I would just add that, you know, my dad always said when he got into beekeeping that he never worked a day in his life. And if you kind of think about that, wow, it's a big thing to say that a gentleman who probably in his prime was putting in maybe 80 to 100 hours a week throughout the summer into well into his 60s, if not early 70s, uh, says a lot that he never felt that it was work. And I think it, for me, I saw that it, for him, it was, it became his heartbeat for my mom and dad. And they just loved doing that. They loved interacting with people. But for them, it was really about service to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you look at it from that perspective, it becomes such a different vantage point. Yes, you love to make money in whatever you do in order to take care of your family and your welfare. But when you have Christ in your life, things, it just takes on a different viewpoint. There's things that, yes, they might matter. Yes, this could occur, change things. But if you've got that focus, it just, for me, it just allows me to take a breath and say, okay, Tim, I know I'm going to screw something up, but if I give it to Jesus, it's all going to come out right in the end. And so I guess that's kind of how I look at things. You know, I have a, a real opportunity, a wonderful opportunity in the summers to be out in the bee yards you know, from anywhere from you know, break of dawn until dusk and just getting to travel around and see the different bee yards and just see every God's creation, you know, a variety of different things, you know, not just the landscape, but the animals and the insects and everything. It's just, it's just a wonderful thing. And so that's kind of what I try to, when you get caught up on all these earthly things, (laughs) you kind of try to take a a step back and 
And look what's really important and look at just again, the incredible blessings that we've been given and the opportunities, which, how does it go? Which is much, much is asked, much, much, much is given, much is also expected. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's one thing Kathy and I continue to work on is, is how can we be better to our Lord and Savior? And how does that look in our profession through gentle Bruce honey? You know, so it's more than just, hey, we're out here to sell honey and make some money. There's, there's a lot more to that. Lauren, I don't know if this, I couldn't find anything online, but when I went to Calvin in 1990, I actually became a Christian at Calvin College. So I'm super, I'll always be grateful to Calvin College. But the, the motto was my heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. And I found that on the website, but there used to be a little graphic of a pair of hands holding a heart. And mm -hmm. I couldn't find that on the website, but I hope they still use it in their literature. But I always loved that picture. And I don't think I really like reflected on it that much when I was at Calvin because I was just so young and so young in my faith. But I think about that now. And I think that is really just the way God calls us to live is, you know, just offering our heart, whatever he's asking us to do, trust in him, and, you know, make our plans, but hold them really loosely. And so I just, when I think of that picture of the hands holding the heart, they're not gripping the heart. They're not squeezing the heart. They're it's very gentle. Gently yes. holding the heart. And you as a nurse, yeah. I'm sure can appreciate that. But I just, I think in agriculture, there is just a lot of trust because we have no control <laughs> over the weather and we have no yeah. control over what our neighbors are doing for the most part. But, you know, we try to be faithful with what we can control and, and just, you know, hold loosely to the plans we make. And, and usually God's plans are just far more interesting than the ones we make. So, you know, what our five-year plan is, we don't really know. <laughs> but, uh, we, we hope we're still being faithful to the Lord when five years come. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that encouragement. Like at the end of the day, your work, your business, whatever it is you put your hands to, like it's, it was the Lord's in the first place, right? Yeah. And he put yeah. that in your life generations ago for you guys with BK, yeah. but it's still the Lord's on day one and at the end of the day of the business. Um, and I think that's that's a good reminder too, even so for students in our group who are starting businesses, like some of these, some of these businesses are already established and some of them are still in the dreaming stages and, and yet to really be born. But even now before they're started, it's already the Lord's business and he will yeah. make it grow or flourish or not, right? Like however he intends. And so that that's I, that's a good reminder of the the image of the hand that is a seal we do still have that at calvin they rebranded a couple of years ago so it's not <laughs> on all of our it's not the official logo on everything yes. anymore but it is still on campus and just a, a beautiful reminder yeah like that physical posture of like this mm -hmm. is the lord's cause it to flourish if you will and for gentle breeze it sounds like he has over the last couple of years and that's awesome to hear you guys' story of how that business has grown and and the way it's shifted even the last 10 years for better for worse but yeah i i so appreciate you guys sharing your story with me and with the broader calvin community thank you yeah it's uh we need to share our story with the calvin community